Yep, we're um, looking at the, the last five of the Ten Commandments over these few weeks, and we have reached number eight. I won't put you to the test and ask you which one it is. In fact, it should be coming up. You shall not steal. So that's what we're looking at this morning, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Now, I wonder how you feel about this one. Uh, my feeling is, out of all of them, uh, this is my best. This is, my, this is one of the better ones out of all of them. I mean, everyone knows you know, that stealing is wrong. Even professional thieves and burglars and pickpockets know that what they're doing is against the law. And most of us, I, th- I hope, would be appalled at think the thought that we would take something from someone else that doesn't belong to us. We think to ourselves, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing knowingly. And we know instinctively that stealing is wrong, and so we think we're basically okay on this one. You know, we know the rules, and and we try to live by them. But I suspect we've all experienced the trauma of having something stolen from us. I remember soon after we moved here, um, uh, coming downstairs one morning and looking around in disbelief in the kitchen at drawers pulled out and stuff just strewn all over the place. And at first, um, as is my want in our household, I blamed my husband. So I called up to him and I said, darling, you know, what were you looking for last night? I mean, this place is a tip, you know, you could have asked me, you know, but started ranting a little bit. And then suddenly it dawned on me what had actually happened. Strangers had entered our home during the night and... uh, you know, while we'd all been asleep upstairs. And it was an awful thought, thinking that one of our young children could have come down uh, and disturbed them. Something even worse could have happened. Um, Unlike the time when um, I came back from dropping the children at school uh, and found the front door wide open, and I thought, oh, no, not again. And I went in and I walked in and was just, you know, horrified at the chaos that I could, just was confronted me. And I then realized that this was exactly the way I'd left the house when I'd gone out an hour before. (laughs) But the commandment couldn't be clearer. You shall not steal. Very simple, very straightforward, we think. In fact, the original, in the original Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was written, it's actually one simple word that translates no stealing. You know, don't steal, don't do it. And it's true that this second set of commandments all sound very negative. You know, they all tell us to stop doing something. Every commandment highlights a problem at the core of each one of us, whether it's greed or envy or lust or selfishness or dishonesty. They each reveal something about our hearts, convicting us, challenging us, humbling us. But the intention is not just to leave us there. God gave us his laws, not just to show us our faults, but to change our hearts. Not just to tell us right from wrong, you know, not just to correct our behavior, but to transform us from the inside out. All of them reveal, you see, something about the character of God. And this one tells us he's a faithful God and he loves faithfulness in his followers. So in every commandment, you see, there's the negative and the positive, the good news and the bad. And the goal of this particular commandment, I would suggest, is to transform us from grabbers into givers. To transform us from grabbers into givers. From people who just take, 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 to people who give, give, give. And so St. Paul picks up on it in his letter to the Ephesians, and he says this, he who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. You know, whether it's paid work or voluntary work, they must work. 
and he continues doing something useful with their hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. And again, Paul's very clear, whoever's been stealing must stop. You know, just stop it. Don't do it. But don't just stop doing one thing, start doing another. Don't just stop stealing, start sharing. You know, be generous, be kind, be loving, be thoughtful. In other words, mirror God's character. Because when we steal, we shatter that mirror. When we steal, it's completely out of sync with God's character. And in fact, this commandment encompasses many of the others. You know, if we got this one right, many of the others would be sorted. You know, because murder, if you think about it, is the stealing of another person's life. Adultery is the stealing of another person's spouse. Uh, false, false testimony is the stealing of justice, of another person's reputation, and so on. Get this one right, and so many of the others would just fall into place. And this commandment is unique in another way. It's the only one that's completely open-ended. You know, it doesn't even hint at what it is that we're forbidden to steal. Now, we like to narrow all of these commandments to safe, keepable levels. So with this one, uh, you know, we prefer to point the finger away from ourselves to those who make a living out of taking other people's property, you know, stealing things. That's what we immediately think of, isn't it? But as one commentator writes, stealing is the supreme example of dishonesty, but it has a great many cousins. And it's these which we're inclined to entertain quite happily, never considering for a moment that they're so closely related to such a despicable creature. What we must do is to turn the pages of the family photograph album and try to see the likeness and connection between theft on the one hand and its relations on the other. So what I thought we'd do quite simply this morning is just look at some of the relations. Let's look at them together. First of all, the borrower. As far as I can see, there are three kinds of borrowers. There's the thoughtless borrower. The person who borrows without asking. You know, they're in a fix, they're in a rush, they don't mean to cause any problem, and they justify their actions by telling themselves, you know, it's only for a few hours, it's only for a few days, it won't be missed. That's the thoughtless borrower. Then there's the forgetful borrower. They don't mean to hold on to the book or the tennis racket or the bike, but they never get round to returning it. And when you finally try and pin them down rather embarrassingly, often they can't even remember where they put it or even who they passed it on to. And then there's the careless borrower who borrows something and then damages or spoils it in some way. And worst of all, returns it without getting it repaired and often without apology or explanation. And we get so annoyed and frustrated by these sort of people, don't we? But we are one of them. More than likely, we are one of them. And we think it's so small. You know, these are just insignificant little things we tell ourselves. But this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Uh, so, Fiona, your knife sharpener is in the back of my car, um, ready to give you back. Zena, your DVDs are on our hall table. Uh, and the dress I borrowed from my sister three, month ago, three, three months ago is finally at the dry cleaners. Uh, this is where it starts. Just don't do it. So the borrower. Secondly, the cheater. Cheating the taxman by massaging the, those figures on the tax return form. Cheating on insurance claims. You know, was the bike really locked up? You know, was the jewelry really that, expen that expensive? 
Uh, cheating writers or artists by copying software or downloading musical films without paying for them. Cheating in, exa in exams, favorite pastime of our youth. You know, I remember to my shame writing some completely incomprehensible maths um, equations on the palm of my hand in one of the GCSEs, um, hoping it would help me pass, and it didn't. Um, but cheating, cheating, cheating the British Rail by not paying for our ticket. Cheating others by taking credit or reward for work that isn't ours. And we don't like to call any of these things stealing. So we talk about shrewdness or adeptness or playing the system. And our temptation is to justify ourselves or to, or to dismiss these things. We say to ourselves, you know, come on, it doesn't really matter. Everyone does it. But Jesus tells us to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus teaches us to be honest and generous in our dealings with others, not robbing them of their just rewards. Jesus tells us the first shall be last. He tells us to promote others above ourselves. So is that our aim? Do we think like that? Or are we constantly looking out for number one, justifying our behavior through the world's standards? Well, God says to us, don't do it. Don't go there. Don't, don't steal in that way. And then there's the slanderer, stealing a person's reputation. Now, that's a particularly destructive form of theft because unlike stealing money or property, once a person's good name has been stolen, it can almost never be fully restored. Um, our friend, a friend of ours who's actually, actually an ex-MP uh, wrote this. Paul picked it up this morning. It's an unfair world and we all have to plead guilty to convicting people we know and celebrities we don't without evidence in the court of our own personal judgment. How do we react to the names of Nigel Farage or Jeremy Corbyn or Rupert Murdoch or Tony Blair? Do we really know all the facts or are we just quoting Daily Mail headlines? Are we joining in the prejudice of the crowd? We should be careful. Take heed of these words from Shakespeare's Othello. Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Toss mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him, but makes me poor indeed. And in the same way, you know, we can steal a person's trust through deception or steal a person's dignity through humiliation. Because words have great power to steal away what rightfully belongs to another. So don't use them wrongly. Just don't do it. Don't steal. And then there's the waster. It's very easy to waste time. You know, it's human nature to relax when we have a chance. And this needn't matter if the time is our own, if that's our choice. But very often it's not. It's nearly always been paid for by someone else. So are we stealing from our employer in more subtle ways than maybe fiddling the expenses or making use of the company uh, telephone or stationery? Are we stealing with our idleness, wasting time at their expense? I mean, you wouldn't know it from the hours we clock up. You know, we're working long hours, but you might know it from our productivity. And deep down, we know that we're not giving what we owe in the workplace. We're not giving our best effort. We're stealing from them. And God says to us, don't do it. Just don't do it. And then there's the slider. Because stealing can often creep up on us incrementally. 
our conscience, you see, becomes dulled over time when we fail to take these things seriously. Um, the other day, I read the story of a man who worked for a charity in their finance department. And one Friday, he found that he was short of cash for the weekend. So he borrowed some from the company. And he felt really bad about it. And it bothered him all weekend. And he couldn't wait to get back and put things right on Monday morning. But then it happened again. And this time, he didn't feel quite so bad about it. And it actually took a few days the following week, into the following week, before he got round to repaying it. And it wasn't very long before he was regularly taking money and not bothering to repay it, until it was found that he'd actually taken thousands of pounds out of that account. It's a slippery slope. Just don't do it. Don't go there. Don't steal in that way. And then there's the unjust. Because stealing applies to the haves as well as the have-nots. It's not just to protect the wealthy from burglars and pickpockets, but to stop the rich from exploiting the poor. And interestingly, that's what the Bible seems more concerned about. It's a command to tax collectors as well as tax dodgers. So do we live with double standards? We have one set of rules for others and a different set of rules for ourselves. Living with double standards. God hates it. When I'm due to gain, I, I take as much as I can. When it's my turn to give, I offer as little as possible. And God reserves the strongest language for this sort of grabbing. He detests it. He hates it. So just listen to these verses in Deuteronomy 25. In fact, they come up on the screen. The language is ancient, but the issues are timeless. Do we have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light? Sorry, do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. I mean, strong words. But then listen to what the prophet Amos hears from God. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, skimping the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And this same theme is picked up in the New Testament in James with language just as strong. Now listen, you rich people, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Just look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've co condemned and murdered innocent men and women who were not opposing you. I mean, this is, this is strong language because God is a merciful God who hates injustice. He detests it. And the principles of justice and mercy permeate the whole of the Bible. God hates it when the rich look out for themselves and ignore the poor. And he hates it even more when the rich trample over the poor. So are we investing in companies that exploit others? If we do, we must share in their theft. The theft of people's right to a proper wage, to decent working conditions, to dignity and freedom. If we're an employer of others, are we paying them what they're worth? Do we pay them on time? And what we need to remember is that if you're poor, cash flow matters. 
James tells us that late pay or underpay is robbery. It's theft. Don't do it. Don't steal from others. Theft is basically taking from God what he's given to another person. It destroys God's plans. It it's a challenge to God's authority. And with, as with every other occasion, when we go against what God has commanded, we have to pay the price. Because like all disobedient, it, disobedience, it affects not only our relationship with him, but it also damages his world. I mean, just imagine for a moment what the world would be like if there was no stealing. You know, just think how radically society would be transformed. You know, how work and relationships and communities and friendships and economic policies would be changed. What effect would it have on, a society, on our society if there was no stealing? You know, no need for burglar alarms, no, no security systems, no house keys, no car keys, no passwords, no mistrust, no accusations. No greed, no grabbing. Money used to build things rather than simply protect them. So why do we do it? What makes a person want to steal or cheat? Um, I wonder if we can trace the, th the theft back to any particular source. Where are its roots? And I would suggest that there are three main roots. And they are laziness, self-entitlement, and greed. And the first may surprise you, laziness, but the fact is, industrious, hard-working people are rarely dishonest. Fraud and theft and things like that are just ways of cutting corners, of getting things quickly and cheaply, of growing rich without personal effort. The second, self-entitlement, is our ability to turn everything into something we're owed. You know, society owes us, or our company owes us, or those who have, have more than us owe us. And with this mindset, we, we justify our every action, however wrong, however harmful. And greed, the desire to possess what others have got and we don't. And comparison can begin to dominate our thinking and make us greedy for more. But the fact is, you know, once we start down that track, we will never have enough. We'll find that we have an insatiable appetite to acquire things. And I'm not going to expand on this one too much, as Nick will be getting, leading us through the 10th commandment on covetousness in just, I think, about two weeks' time. But the fact is, the implications of this particular commandment are far-reaching. You know, it isn't just a prohibition, a warning against shoplifting. It concerns a far more fundamental attitude, an attitude which sees everything we've been given as a gift from God. In fact, the prophet Malachi in the Old Testament asks us, will man rob God? You know, will we rob God of the gifts he's given to each one of us? Because we all steal in different ways. We're all guilty. But Jesus turns us from grabbers into givers. Because he can change our selfish hearts into generous ones. So that we read the commandment not just as a prohibition, but as a promise. You know, you shall not steal. You know, you really shall not. You won't want to. You won't need to. It's not just about stopping doing something wrong. It's about starting doing something right. It's turning away from cheating or exaggerating or misusing or taking. And it's turning towards generosity and truthfulness and integrity and gratitude. 
And seen in this light, you know, this turns out, I think, to be one of the most attractive commandments. One of the most attractive commandments when lived out. Jesus turns grabbers into givers. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have the most wonderful description of our God. The giver, not the grabber. And it tells us this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, you and I, through his poverty, might become rich. What a wonderful picture of our God. Shall we stand?